Amazing stuff, uh, Phil. Um, I did begin to think I was in a black majority church where they don't have a clock. Because you've gone way over. But hey, that's fine. It was wonderful stuff, great stuff. Um, I, I just, they, when they asked me to do this, they said, could you make it really, really practical? Um, so that's what I'm going to seek to do uh, this afternoon. And uh, I'm going to give you what I think is a key to seeing your church grow. I'm going to give you some keys that I think will unlock growth in the local church. And, and it's not undermining any of the grace of God, but I think these keys are really important. But before we do, I'm going to show you a little video clip. Um, I don't know how many of you watch TED Talks. Okay, a few people. Basically, they're short talks that are leaders in their field that just talk about their specialism, but they're only allowed to do it for 10 minutes. This particular talk lasts for three minutes, and it's how to start a movement. So sit back and watch. Ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course, you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> And here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd, and the crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so. Notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So, <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, 
have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, TED. Thanks. <laughs> I love that, a lone nut. Uh, but the key, leadership is overemphasized, it's followership. And followership is key. And uh, what you need to understand is as you develop followership, it's not all about leadership. It's about those first new followers that really impact the next strategy that you can do. One of the things that I'm constantly doing in helping the church think through mission and think through how intentionally can they be about mission, I'm going to give you just five keys. And I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I'm just going to hook this on these five keys. And it, it, obviously, it, I'm an evangelist, I'm passionate about the gospel, but I'm also passionate about seeing the church grow. Because as we heard, healthy things grow. And uh, if something's healthy, it will grow. It does happen. It is the way it is. In all the church growth that I've seen, and we've done a lot of discussion in the UK about church growth, what we've discovered is this. Every church that grows, the number one reason why those churches grow. Now, if it was a smaller group, I'd get feedback. What do you think the number one reason is? Great worship, of course. It's not the number one reason. Great preaching, not the number one reason. Great children's work, not the number one reason. Great youth work, not the number one reason. Not the number one reason. Now you're getting it. You're shouting out. This is good. This is encouraging. <laughs> that works really well. Okay, let me tell you the number one reason. The number one reason why churches grow is they believe they're going to grow. They believe they're going to grow. So the leader builds faith. The leader believes they're going to grow. The leader believes that if this has got the Spirit of God in it, in the grace of God, it will grow. We've done a load of research just asking people in the community, and we did this around some denominational leaders come, coming together. We asked people in our community, it was an English survey predominantly, but we asked them what they thought of Jesus. Not about the church, but of Jesus. The statistics were amazing. And all of this information is on a website called talkingjesus.org. You can go there and look at it. Because I don't think it's too dissimilar over here, or there are some unique things about over here. The first was this. 43% of people believe Jesus rose from the dead. 43%. So as you look over Liverpool Street Station or Birmingham, 43% of people in that community believe Jesus rose from the dead. What they haven't done is experienced the risen power of Jesus from the dead, but they do believe Jesus rose from the dead. That's why they're coming to your Easter service, because they believe that. Then we ask them, what do you think of Christians? Isn't that a good question? What do you think of us as Christians? Let me tell you something. They think we're fun. Turn to your neighbor and say, how about that? <laughs> they think we're generous. 
They think we're hospitable. Only 3% thought we were homophobic. Now that's good news, because what that does is it builds confidence. All of a sudden you realize that the person that you're trying to communicate the gospel to is not opposed to this gospel. And let, you, let me tell you one of the reasons for that. It's because the church has actually stepped out of its building and served its community. So they know that we do food bank. They know it's the church. They know that we do street pastors. They know that we give meals to people when they don't get a meal in summer holidays. They know that's the church of Jesus Christ. They know that. But what they don't know is the next step. But they know that the church loves communities extravagantly. So what we've got to understand, and this is what we've got to join up, communicating the gospel alongside extravagant loving of the grace of God for our communities. And let me tell you something. The church constantly separates social action and the gospel. Why? We cannot do that. They are two sides of the same coin. We do social action because we love Jesus, because of the gospel. So what I want to give to you is some hooks following this Jesus report that I believe you could see growth in your community. You could see growth in your men's group. You, see, you could see growth in where you are working and where you are serving and the way that you're serving. And we've set a vision. It's a pretty big vision. We've said to every denomination in England, could you grow your church by 10% in 2018? So if you're a church of 30, that's three, in case you didn't. <laughs> if you're a church of 100, but let me tell you the key, and I'm going to put this up on the slide, it's up there now. You need to be intentional. This will not just happen. You have to be intentional. Intentional mission is the key to effective church growth. There must be an intentionality. If you're not intentional, some of you think if we just pray it will happen. Not true. Prayer is key. Of course it's key. And I would contest that this last year there's probably been more prayer that has gone on with Kingdom Come, with a whole stack of initiatives, with prayer gatherings, even the prayer gathering that happened over here. There's more prayer going on, but that is not enough. You've then got to get up and put feet on those prayers. You've got to actually get out of the boat and make a move. And so what we're saying is the intentionality around prayer. And let, let me say to you guys... This is a tough call. This is not easy. I, I run a men's group. We, we link in our church. It's not easy. We, we have a, a thing that we think, the silver bullet, it's just going to be really easy to see our church grow. It is not. You've got to be intentional, and you've got to put in place certain things to see that happen. I love Acts 26, where Paul is brought before Agrippa. And in Acts 26, he's to present his case. 
And as I said to you this morning, he's an academic. So he could have done a brilliant treaty on the gospel. But what he does is he tells his story of coming to faith in Christ in the courtroom. And Festus comes alongside and says, Paul, this is a courtroom. Basically, a little bit of interpretation. Are you trying to convert us? And Paul says, yes. That's what I'm here to do. Would that all men were like me, except for these chains. And then he says this, whether long or short. Listen. The journey to someone coming to faith can take a while. And what I've discovered is we need to embrace certain small steps where someone's been positive, where we've had the opportunity to pray, where they've kind of showed interest, where they've moved another step. And those small steps we need to embrace and we need to celebrate. We often celebrate what we saw this morning, which is the final piece, where people have responded and come to Jesus Christ. But I think churches need to celebrate the small steps. Celebrate those small steps. So I'm going to go through these five, because I want it to be really practical. The first thing is this. Pray for five people by name that are not yet Christians. So pray for five. And most of those five will be family and friends. Because 67% of people outside the church know a Christian. And they like us. That's pretty good news. We then asked in this survey, those 1,500 people we asked, what caused you to come to faith in Christ? And let me tell you, friendship and family are the two top ones. Thirdly, I went to a church service. So just improve your church service a bit. I was preaching at a church once. I, I do it quite often, actually. Um, and uh, I arrived quite early. And so I just slid in, sat at the back. And they were doing all the preparation. I thought, let them get organized, and then I'll introduce myself. Because they didn't know who I was. They just asked me to come and do this special celebration. Well, they, the, the leader knew, but he wasn't there at the time. And I was sitting at the back. And uh, it was about 10 minutes before the service, and this lady came in. And uh, she just looked at me. And uh, I, I knew there was a problem. I mean, we're not, I know we're not always socially aware, but there are times when... So she looked at me, and I knew there was a problem. So I said, oh, I said, I'm sitting in your seat, aren't I? And she said, yes. Because <laughs> obviously it was predestined before the foundation of the earth that that was her seat that she was to sit in. So I just, I said, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, fine. Then, all of a sudden, I get introduced up front to preach. And as I move to the pulpit, I look at her, and she dies. No, and, uh, 
hey, listen, let's just be a bit more welcoming. It's not rocket science. We, we, we don't have to do a lot. We, we can just make some big... St- and listen, if people turn up at your church, don't give them a library. Some churches you go to, you get the hymn book, you get the land, you get the... I've only come to church. I didn't want to go to the library. Listen, 27% come to faith just from going to a church service. 28% come to faith from reading the Bible. The Bible is still powerful. Let's not underestimate its power. Let's not underestimate what the Word of God can do. But the number one is friend or family. And I don't think we've helped the church in enabling you to share faith. I think we have a structure, a formula for passing people. So, so a lot of evangelists, uh, most evangelists seem to fly on planes. I don't understand that, but they do. I don't. I just get to trains and cars. Although I did fly on... Anyway, so... Uh, and what do they say? They say, oh, I was sitting with this person on the plane and I, they look sad. So I just said, well, you're looking very sad. And all of a sudden, they surrender their life to Jesus. And I'm thinking, well, it don't happen like that in my life. <laughs> and then the hostess has come along with the meals and says, you two in row 39A and B are looking really happy. Yeah, well, he's just giving his life to Jesus. Oh, how'd you do that? Well, let me just explain. And then she becomes a Christian. And as she's giving out the meals, people are saying, why are you looking so happy? Well, in 39A, they just led me to Jesus. Would you like to know? And as the plane's landing, the pilot's leading them in a prayer of just as I am. (laughs) In most situations, it's not like that. And I think we haven't helped people to share faith when they're in a permanent relationship. When you're in the same person at work every week, how do you share faith? And we use the same formula for spiritual laws. I'm not knocking it, but that won't work in a work context. Because once you've done it, where do you go from there? Or if they're in a family, how do you do that? So I want to do a course that says if you're in a permanent relationship with someone, how do you share faith there? What does that look like? And, and Mark Green, Faith on the Front Line, all that kind of stuff. But you are key. You are key to that person coming to faith. Friends, family, that is the key. It still is the key. So let's not underestimate it. So this research has changed the way we do church. So the first thing is you've got to understand pray for five. The reason for praying for five is 20% of people that we spoke to are open to an experience of the love of God. 20%. And let me tell you something else. I've done a lot of studying in the scripture around evangelism because I'm an evangelist. And what I've discovered is your responsibility. There are some evangelists that draw the net. Do you know all you're called to do is invite. The Holy Spirit does the rest. But you think you've got to do the lot. You haven't. Just invite them. 
I was sharing with a group of uh, churches that have all come together doing some training, building to a mission. And this one guy said, he said, we're running an alpha course. And the wife came to our church, but the husband was not a believer. And so I said to her, do you want me to invite your husband to the alpha course? And she said, oh, that'd be wonderful. So he said, I'll come around one night and see if he'd be up for coming. And he said, I went through it in my mind. He said, if he says this, I'll say that. If he says this, I'll say that. If he don't, I, I've got five options, all these scenarios, and I'll be able to answer all of them. So he goes around, he says, listen, we're running an alpha course. Would you like to come? And he said, yes. <laughs> and he went, that wasn't in one of my scenarios. Why do we think people are going to say no? Why do we think that? Just invite. And listen, if they say no, they just said no. Get over it. That's all they said. Oh, no, they don't like us. They think, no, they just said no. Get it? We can do this. But the invitation is key. The second thing that I think is really important is we've got to understand something to say. See, the gospel is word, as you said. It is communicating the word of God. But we've got a problem. We're just celebrating 500 years of the Reformation. What happened at the Reformation was the Gottenberg Press, the word. But let me tell you, we're living in a culture now where they spend millions of pounds on advertising and the most brilliant adverts have no words. If I'd had time, I would have showed you two of them. But let me tell you some keys that are in there. Animals. Emotion. Attachment. But we live in a word culture in the church. But how do we communicate to a non-word culture? How do we use the right stories? Where do we use the right metaphors? How do we use the right narrator in the context of story? Because story is key. You see, Jesus spoke, and when he talked about the parable of the sower, he, it says that the, to those outside, he never spoke without the use of a parable. It was a story. But the thing about those stories is the truth was in the parable. Most illustrations illustrate. And you remember the illustration and say, what was that all about? It was a great illustration, but I can't remember the point. When Jesus used a parable... The truth was in the parable. So they'll never forget the truth because it was in the story. It was in the story. And that's what we need to do. We need to have some amazing stories. And you're a brilliant story culture in Northern Ireland. You love stories. You give the story. Listen, if you're a preacher, don't shift and be non-story when you're preaching. Because story is key. And the great thing is, is that then you, that's called inductive. When you go deductive, is when you've got the disciples and they're connected. Then you give content. Then you give all of that. But when they're outside, Jesus said he never spoke without the use of a parable. And that's exactly where we are. 
So we use words, we, we, we use language. I'm using words to you today. But, but think of the story around that. How do you connect that? And the story will live on. The Holy Spirit loves story. It's amazing. So we've got to have something to say. But the other thing that I've discovered is something to give. What I've found in a lot of churches, we did this last year. And it was fascinating because I want to equip people and I want to equip you to reach men. I want to practically enable you to do that. And one of the best ways you can do that is to have something you're going to give to them. You see, if I give you something, I'm one step removed from you connecting. We've just produced a magazine with Miranda Hart on the front cover. The reason we did that very simply is it's something to give, and it, she's come to faith, there's a kind of link connection, and it's just something to give, to build a bridge. Last year, we produced a queen book, uh, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. And what we discovered is people that wouldn't normally share faith found by using that book that they could. Because they had confidence in it. They knew the queen's faith story. And it just was something to give. So what are you going to give your mate? The reason we did the prison book. What do you give? Here's a story. They're just short stories. And they're short stories of the gospel. They're short stories of people's lives that have changed. They give you an aha moment. So I want to constantly be thinking... Christmas is coming. Christmas is a fantastic moment. Not everybody's going to come to faith that comes to your Christmas service, but give them something. Something to give, something to give away, something to bless, something to connect. And I think we then have a great bridge in which to build. And the other thing that I've discovered, and this is fascinating to me, is we've got to build an invitational culture into our churches. We've got to find a way that you have confidence to invite. Hey, this is a great event. But how many of you invited someone that's not a Christian to this event? Because the purpose of it is to share the gospel. Now, it may be the wrong environment. But, but we've got to Find a way to invite. I live um, in rugby, as you know, where the game started. Um, and a rugby school is just down the road from us. If you want to go to rugby school, it costs you £32,000 a year to go there. And you get to hear me do a chapel service. If you haven't paid that, then you've heard me today. 32000 I did one chapel service at rugby school last term. And I was invited to the headmaster's study for coffee. And one of the parents were there. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, you did a jolly good job this morning. My boys would have loved it. I'm thinking, boys? 32,000 pound a year? I said, how many you got here? Three. I'm like, whoa. I'm glad they enjoyed it. And... But why do I do that? Why do we connect? Well, I live in rugby. That's where the school is. But I have neighbours. We just invited 
10 of our neighbors to a harvest meal. That's all we did, just a meal. And uh, they came around, and they all said yes. They all said yes, without exception. And I'm thinking, they all said yes. And my wife said, yeah, I know. It's a problem. (laughs) I said, I can't believe they all said yes. No, she said, neither can I. And you're no help. And, uh, (laughs) And they all came. And then one of my neighbors caught me in the kitchen and said, we've all come, but we know why you've got us here. I said, do you? Yeah, you're going to preach at some point, aren't you? I said, no. Oh, he said, thank goodness for that. Uh, I said, no, it's just a meal. It's just a meal. We're just going to share a meal. Hey, listen, Jesus used food. And what happened at that meal? Conversations of faith, conversations of values, conversations of what you do. And at the end, I just said, listen, I'm doing some carol services. I'd love to invite you. Every one of them's coming to the carol service. You see, something to give. But just knowing, hey, that was a big step. That was like, my wife was nervous. I was nervous. Are they going to come? Yeah, they came. Because we've moved it. It's a kind of new... And, and it's just, you can do this stuff. You've just got to be an invitational person. And listen, I think that my understanding of the New Testament is that that is your responsibility. Evangelists will lead them to Jesus, other pieces in the body of Christ, but you are to invite. You're to be the inviter. And you can all do that, can't you? You can. But you find it so difficult. I find it so difficult. I'm like, what if they say no? What if they do this? Oh, for goodness sake, man up. Just invite them. Because what you don't know is who the 20% are who are going to be open to an experience of the love of God. And the final piece is that I have said to every person as we go forward into this year of intentionality, is the longer you've been around the church, the less not yet Christians you know. You just don't know. So that's why I think when church does community, you get to know new people. Because you'll find it harder. But if you do community, mums and toddlers, lunch clubs, meet new people, build relationships. So we've said, we want you during this year to make one new friend, one new contact. The reason we've done that, some people say you put the bar really low. I worked very heavily with the black majority church because we work with every denomination. And when we were coming forward on this 10%, they said, Roy, we can't go to our people with 10%. We don't believe in 10%. They said, Roy, we've got to go to double because we're black. And we do faith. You white people, you just... The other thing the Black Majority Church is they do prayer. So I spoke at a prayer meeting just recently, two weeks ago at the XL Center. 45,000 people. It's the largest prayer meeting. It happens twice a year in the UK. Predominantly black. Praying for revival 
of the church in the UK. Most white people don't even know it exists. The biggest, highest attended church service in the black church is the prayer meeting. That's why it's growing the fastest around the world. We can't even get people to pray. So, so we've got a problem. We really have a challenge. But the good news is, the harvest is ripe. Let's be invitational. Let's be giving out stuff. Let's say certain things. And let's go for it. Because what have you got to lose? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then you'll say, well, the church service might be this. The church service might be that. Yes, it may be. It may be. But you're seeing it through your eyes. And most people outside are lonely, on their own. And they come into the church and all of a sudden they discover community. And they discover the presence and the spirit. And yeah, there's all the faults. As Bill Heibel says, when we do church well, it's fantastic. When it's not so well, it's a challenge. But it's still the only redemptive thing that God has placed to redeem the world is the church of Jesus Christ. So let's go for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.